Welcome to the Beyond the Books podcast, where we're talking with the experts solving the world's biggest problems. My name is Jonah. And I'm Aryan, and we'd like to welcome you back to the Beyond the Books podcast. We hope that you guys have been enjoying the season so far. Jonah and I have an exciting lineup of guests this season, with one of those being Dr. Gwen Healy Achiaro, who will be joining us today. Dr. Achiaro is the Executive and Scientific Director of the Kauigiartit Health Research Center in Iqaluit, Nunavut, which aims to enable health research to be conducted locally in a supportive and culturally sensitive environment. Thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Dr. Achiaro. And to start off, could you please tell us a little bit about your research? Sure. So uh, thank you, Jonah and Aryan, for inviting me on the, on the show today. Um, so I'm the executive and scientific director of the Khayyagyalti Health Research Center. And our organization is a community nonprofit research center who that exists to answer the health questions of our communities. And so our research really spans the spans the broadest possible scope of what um, might be considered health research. We're looking at all the determinants of health and all of the perspectives uh, of our communities on health and well-being. And so my personal research, um, uh, when I was training in epidemiology and later in public health, has always focused on, um, on, on what our community identified as priority topics for the time. Uh, at the time, and and so that included uh, women's health and sexual health. Awesome, thank you. So in regards to focusing on the needs of the community, I'm curious, how does that dynamic work? Uh, Are you integrated in the community in that you have kind of constant discourse with people in your community, asking them what needs are pressing and then addressing it? Or is it more of you kind of survey and then come to your own opinions and then go from there? Well, that's so that's a great question. So our uh, research center is located in Echaluit in Nunavut. And Nunavut has a population of about 36,000 people, which is quite small compared to other regions of Canada, of course, even though our population is distributed over 2 million square kilometers. Um, we're still all pretty closely knit. And so in the early years of our center, when we were, you know, just a fledgling idea and sort of formulating how we might might work, um, this is more than 15 years ago, we spent time in each region of our territory just talking to people. Um, we uh, brought people together in gatherings uh, in the different regions and, you know, just ask questions like what what are your health priorities? What is meaningful for you and your community? And over time, over a couple of years, we sort of assembled some lists from from these priority setting exercises with community members. And then that sort of became our our standby list, I guess, at the time. Like our this is this is our priority list for the work that we're going to do. And then over the years, because our projects take place all over the territory, we're constantly talking to people in our communities about different issues. People are always bringing things forward to us. And of course, um, during the COVID-19 pandemic, that has been a, a significant area of discussion among our community members in terms of directing us to assess what those impacts look like for our communities now. 
so it's it's kind of a constant back and forth um because we're here and we live here and we um we're easily accessible i guess people always know how to find us <laughs> um to bring things forward we um we're constantly engaging with community members and we're always welcoming um, new and um, innovative ideas that, that come forward from our communities. Well, that's great to hear. And I know that in Southern regions of Canada, such as Southern Ontario, finding a sufficient sample size for research is relatively easy, but considering that Akaluit is in a relatively uh, remote location and is much less populated, uh, do you find it difficult finding participants for research studies? Well, when you're looking at things like sample size, you're you're looking at a specific type of methodology. And for us, we um, we work to elevate Inuit methodologies into the academy. You know, to um, help fill the sort of to help fill the gaps in in research methods in like a traditional academic setting with methodologies that exist, you know, from different paradigms. And so in our studies, we primarily focus on methodologies that involve um, narrative collection, um, you know, a lot of mixed methodologies, some arts-based methodologies as well. So we're harnessing the methods that exist in our communities and, um, elevating them into the research space that they don't traditionally occupy, um, which I think just enriches our global understanding of how we all look at and interpret um, health and well-being. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point that you just raised. I think that a common misconception of some Inuit and possibly all indigenous medical practices is that because they are different, they're somehow less scientific or less effective. But I'm curious, maybe if you could expand a little for us, what some of these Inuit methodologies look like and how you've been able to see success with your methodologies in treating your populations. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's, I think it's, it's um it's probably a life's work that i will try to um distill uh into <laughs> um something for your listeners but if we um i'm trying to think of a specific example and so recently we we held a week-long course we delivered a week-long course in the month of may for um, students and early career researchers here and um which we just called Research Week. And so during Research Week, we engaged in, in uh, all kinds of activities that um, and learnings that span the breadth of what we do as, as researchers in our institute. And so we're covering health ethics, we're covering sort of standard common research methods, and we're also talking about Inuit epistemologies, ways of knowing, and Inuit methodologies, ways of doing. Um, and so this involved, we had an elder working with us on preparing a seal skin. We had um, a guest instructor who uh, came in and talked about how the hudluk, 
So the kudluk is an is a stone lamp um, that's fed with oil from a seal or whale, and it provides a flame which is uh, provides heat and also um, like heat for a for a tent or a hammak or or also for cooking and things like that, depending on how how big your kudluk lamp is or how um, how bright you've made your flame. And so our instructor in, in this course um, talked about how the Qudluq is an example of Inuit research methodologies where something has been tried and tested and refined until perfection over millennia. And so that this lamp, uh, the Qudluq lamp and the way it, it's used and it works today with the type of material it's made of, maybe the type of stand it's on, the angles uh, of the basin that holds the oil and the edge that holds the wick, and that all of these things have been refined over time um, to the product that is commonly, commonly used in families in households today. And so that is an example for her, that is an example she provided of how Inuit research has um, progressed and evolved over time, that it's created um, tools and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> tools and uh, processes and practices uh, that are, have reached a standard of excellence through so observation really, and practice. Yeah, th thanks for that Sorry. example. No, that was, that was a great story uh, and a and a great anecdote. It's really interesting. You know, I, 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 lo I love learning about new practices. And I think that that story you told was, was a really good example at, at showing the effectiveness in, in, in your treatment method. Thank you. Yes. So that's about, um, you know, there's a lot of observation and practice involved. And um, our, our students also really enjoyed her, her, um, her presentation, her lecture as well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with what Jonah brought up. It was it was definitely a very interesting anecdote that you introduced. And uh, building off of that, so in your experience as a research professional, uh, what would you say are the biggest considerations that have to be made when you're performing health-based research on predominantly Inuit populations uh, compared to multicultural populations that you would encounter in say, Southern Ontario? Um, well, that's a great question. I, so I have never been a researcher anywhere else, even though uh, I have all my training is from institutions in Southern Canada, from, from Queens and from the University of Calgary and from the Dalalana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. But all my research has always been here. Uh, at my in my home, so <laughs> so I can't speak to what it's like to work with populations in the south. Um, but I can say for us, what what I I learned in a traditional academic setting about how one approaches a research question, um, you know, through a lens that um, places the elimination of bias at a very high. Uh, level. Uh, so keeping the researcher away from the research subject so as not to influence the, 
the topic and, you know, things like that. Um, we're indirect, um, we're, we're sort of directly counter to how our communities operate. And so what, what I and my colleagues um, in our work and, and one of, um, we, we had an elder who worked with us who's, who's passed on now, but his, his influence in our work was very strong and you know, his legacy continues on in our work. What he and, and I and others had observed was that researchers, for example, who came and studied in, in Nunavut and then left, um, often didn't have uh, the same quality of interpretation of their findings that they might have had if, if researchers from within the communities and within Nunavut had, had for example, implemented the study. And, um, and part of this is because our communities work in a way that is relational. So that relationships are very important to each other and to how our communities operate. Um, relationships between people and also between people and the environment um, through this lens of holism. And so when we're conducting a research study, it's really important for us that relationships are at the forefront, more so than the elimination of, of perceived bias. And so, and so when, when we work with a community um, in our territory, it's usually because somebody has come to us and invited us. So we don't go where we're not invited um, just because we're curious. <laughs> That's not how we do research. So research for the sake of curiosity isn't meaningful for our communities. Um, we have to be doing research to take action, to address an issue, to solve a problem, you know, that's what research is for. And so we hold the relationship with our communities at the highest level. And so we nurture that. We spend a lot of time working on that, that we're meeting people and we're talking to people that we're working together on a study design. Um, so if someone reaches out to us about a particular topic, like a, like a communicable illness um, or on COVID-19, we work with them to identify their needs and a study design that will answer them and then subsequently work together on, on implementation, whether we're the ones who, who collect the data or if we train other community members to collect it themselves and then, and then you know, uh, the local team will own the data and use it in whatever way they see, they see fit. So we're, we're, we, can, we can be facilitators and we can also be research leads and you know, we can fulfill all of these roles um, because we approach, I think what, what we do in our work is we approach it with humility. You know, we don't have all the answers. We have some tools <laughs> that in our toolbox as researchers that can help us find them. And we continue to um, refine those tools and learn and develop new ones. Um, but that, um, you know, there's space in the research world for everyone, for everyone to work together and develop skills and that none of us are an expert. <laughs> we are, we're all just on this learning journey together. So from what you're describing, it sounds like that you have taken this position almost as another leader in the community. I'm curious then in regards to these relationships, 
what does that dynamic look like between, let's say, a medical researcher and an elder in the community? Um, I need more of an example, I think, like um, of what you're thinking. So I, I'm just curious when when you decide to, well, not decide, when someone invites you to begin some sort of either research or medical treatment, is there any kind of uh, check-in with the elders in regards to process or in regards to method? Or is there just that trust is already there in that they, they are going to let you proceed, you know, without any kind of input? Um, oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So I guess for us, um, well, we engage with elders all the time, all across the territory, um, either on a topic specific project, or um, we have, we also have like a circle of elders an elders advisory committee um, that we work to bring together. Uh, well, once a year, if we can, but obviously people were not meeting during during the pandemic. Um, and when they meet, they they have a topic that they want to address, and that's what they dive. They spend two or three days diving into a specific topic and providing guidance in in various ways. And so and so we take that those learnings, those teachings, and then we apply them in our work. Um, you know, across the board, like uniformly. And then in specific projects, we'll have elders who who want to be part of it in different ways or take on a role or um, or sometimes they just say they entrust us with information and they give us the responsibility of disseminating it. So, um, so in one of our projects where we um, have been working to develop uh, programs for families that are based on uh, Inuit child rearing philosophy. Um, you know, they've they've given us so much knowledge and such richness through their stories and their um, experiences, and and tasked us with using our networks and our location in um, in research and as a community research center to to pass that on to other families to share it as broadly as possible to share it with policy and decision makers so so it um so our engagement with elders is really important and enriching for us and so we try to involve them at all different levels from from the level of you know these these gatherings um these advisory committee gatherings that inform all our work and, and then topic specific um, projects that were there engaged in different ways, either as, um, as advisors or instructors, we have elder instructors in some of our programs or, or as uh, participants themselves who are, who are being recorded, sharing a narrative. That's, that's absolutely amazing to hear. And, and it's great to see how you guys have been able to incorporate both teachings from elders and academia. So, so that, that's definitely great. And I'm sure that throughout your career, you've had the chance to see a lot of the major healthcare problems that the Inuit population, specifically in Iqaluit, has been facing. So could you tell us a little bit about these problems that you have seen? Um, sure. So I think, um, I think what often happens is 
is Nunavut is is vulnerable to a narrative that um, paints our population in a negative light. We do have a lot of challenges. Um, we we've had an ongoing um, challenge with tuberculosis in our communities for decades. We have had um, a suicide epidemic. We've you know we have a uh, a lot of um, uh, historical trauma, ongoing and historical trauma that impacts our communities. So there's there's quite a breadth and depth. We have uh, issues like uh, with cancer and chronic disease. Um, so there's a lot that that impacts our communities, the health and well-being of our communities. But there's also what doesn't get talked about are, are the strengths of our communities, like the way people care for each other, um, the way that individual well-being is tied to collective well-being. And that is related to the values of our communities around, um, for example, uh, food sharing. So when food is harvested, it's it's shared with friends and family and neighbors and extended family um, that um, that, uh, you know, we look after each other and care for one another, which we saw a lot of during the pandemic, uh, because um, we were under a travel ban. And so everybody was really working hard to take care of, of each other, because everybody was was home, you know, not tied up in the in the busy um, hustle and bustle of, of professional or work lives. And, um, and so the strengths that exist in our communities are really the pathways to well-being that we feel we should be harnessing to address some of those other health and well-being concerns, um, like, you know, ensuring access to good food through the sharing of food that's harvested through sharing country foods it's called country foods the local um, um innate foods uh country foods is the term and um by sharing food by supporting one another by listening and talking by um, um supporting opportunities for people to learn and develop skills to connect with one another to connect youth and elders you know, all of these um, strengths, all of these components that we're really good at are are the pathways to well-being that don't get the same attention, maybe, in our healthcare system um, as, as they potentially could because they are so positive and impactful. Um, did I did I answer your question? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. no, no, no. <laughs> no that, that that was an amazing response, and it's it's great to see how you guys, or actually great to hear about how you guys have such a tight knit community of people who care about each other. I guess that's that probably has to be one of the big benefits of uh, of of being from like a smaller city, because when you're from one of those bigger cities, like say Toronto, Vancouver, there's a lot of people, so there's a lot of people to to, to look after and care about, but you know, being from a smaller region, like, like a smaller city, it, it must be nice to have, have everyone caring for each other. Um, so are there any changes that you would potentially make to the healthcare system uh, in Nunavut, such as maybe uh, increasing research uh, facilities, if there are any deficits? Well, um, if we have a wish list, <laughs> if we're making our wish list for what, what, um, 
for what we'd like to see or what I'd like to see uh, added to our healthcare system. I think we, our population has been growing faster than our health, health human resources are growing. So we definitely need more nurses and physicians and frontline professionals and diagnostics like in the lab everywhere. Um, we need we need more of them and we need more who are Nunavut mute, who are people from Nunavut who know and understand our population and and people who who come here and want to be here and build their lives and careers here. Um, you know, you know, in this life of, of service as a healthcare professional, um, we sort of view it, you know, as a as a as a life of service that it's a very giving profession and and um, and gets that um, acknowledgement from from our communities that so we need more uh, we need more people <laughs> more people in those positions more positions created we um, right now the where our healthcare system is structured there isn't really much opportunity for community members to have input into how it's structured so um so we we've been very significant advocates for that like for for a board or or committees or or circle of advisors however they want to however we want to frame it um that we need more input from Nunavut into how our healthcare system runs and what's um um, what prior what areas need to be prioritized and things like that. Um, we also would wish for I guess one of the <laughs> one of the things we like to say in our work at Kaiyafid is that we're we're developing a body of evidence to sort of help bend our systems to way toward the way we we would like to see them and so one specific area where we're working in on that is on um, the benefits of land-based programs so land-based programs are very common in Nunavut taking uh, groups of adults or youth out on the land and uh, and learning harvesting skills or working through um, healing activities and because that coming back to what i said earlier that concept of um relationships is so important and that uh, relationships with the land is part of our relationship with our well-being and so we know that when people when we're on the land we feel better and when people participate in land-based like structured land-based programs they feel better and we we conducted a one of the first really big systematic studies of the benefits of land-based programs over three years across canada's north and we found the outcomes of these programs improved contributed to improvements in health and well-being but also to improvements in education and engagement with the justice system in um in the arts and music like basically improvements in all facets of life and so we know that there are therapeutic benefits to these types of programs which are are often not recognized and we'd love to see them recognized in our healthcare system because we know that people do better when they participate in things like this and so the land-based programs are very much rooted 
in um, innate pathways to well-being, but they're not um, necessarily acknowledged or accepted by our traditional healthcare system. So we'd love to we'd love to see our system adopt some of those interventions uh, for their therapeutic benefits as well. Awesome. So I think that you have made a very convincing argument for those plans and, and you've gained two new supporters here. Hopefully other people listening will feel the same way. Um, Gwen, thank you so much for joining us. This was a really interesting episode and personally I, I learned a ton. So really appreciate you taking the time and thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that you reached out and thank you so much. Awesome. Well, for everyone listening, my name is Jonah. And my name is Arian. And we would like to thank you for listening to this very special episode of the Beyond the Books podcast. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at Beyond the Books pod, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.